are now listening to PursuitCast, the official podcast of Pursuit NYC. May it be an encouragement to you today and stir your soul for revival. chapter 24, and, and our main text starts at verse 13, uh, but I just want to start reading from verse 1 just to kind of build the, the backdrop and, and the context of what's happening already uh, before we head into the main text, but Luke chapter 24, and I'll be reading from verse 1, it says, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the woman took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. Turn to the person next to you and say, Jesus be trolling. Okay, some of you might not know. Okay, anyways. But Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hope that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. 
They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Amen? Amen. Let's pray and we'll jump into the message this morning. Father, I just want to thank you that you love every single one of us in this room this morning. God, we just declare right now that all things are possible because of what you've done. God, I thank you that there's hope, that there's life, that there's love, there's power. So Lord, meet us in a powerful way today. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever done something amazing before? Now, this isn't a trick question, but, but have you ever done something or had something happen to you that was so amazing, so great that you couldn't help but share it with someone right away? Whether it be your significant other, your family, your friends, but something so amazing happened that you just wanted to tell someone, text it, you know, tweet it, snap it, whatever you want, that you just wanted to do something like that. Well, to be honest, I haven't done something amazing yet, but I have shared it like I have, thanks to social media. You know, like, thanks to our culture and the times we live in, you don't have to do something amazing to actually share it as if it was. Am I making sense? But we see here Jesus, that he rose again from the dead. That's amazing, amen? That he conquered death, he came back alive. And if I'm Jesus in that moment, I, I'm, I'm going to start flexing. You know what I mean? I'm going to start showing up, proving that I am the Lord, that I conquered death. And I probably will have a top 10 list of people I'm going to show up to first. You know, my mom, like, hey, mom, I'm back. You know, thanks for, you know, believing God when you were a teenager. You know, it paid off. Next person I'll show up is probably Pontius Pilate. You know, like, hey, what I say? You know, and then just disappear. <laughs> Show up at some of the haters, show up at the Roman soldier that hit me, be like, yo, what's up? You know, and just scare them because I want to prove that I did something amazing. But when we see this story, that's not what Jesus does at all. I mean, he just accomplished the greatest feat in history, but he doesn't go off and show off. He doesn't show up to his doubters, his haters. He doesn't even show up to some of his closest friends. But the first night he spends resurrected is with these two right here. I mean, that's what Jesus does. He only has 40 days on earth in total before he's ascended to heaven again. But he decides to spend his first night in a unique way, in a way that doesn't make sense to us, at least to me. Because if I did what Jesus did, I would tell as many people and the closest people to me as quickly as possible. But we see Jesus here showing up and walking with these two who are now on the road to Emmaus. We're introduced to one of them. His name is Cleopas, and his, his companion is remained nameless. Now, some people think that it was his wife, his friend, I mean, whoever it might be, but these are two disciples who were in Jerusalem, who saw everything that happened to Jesus, but on the third day, they are now walking to Emmaus. Now, this is the first time we actually hear that the town of Emmaus is the first time we hear the name of Cleopas. And, and even today, scholars and theologians aren't sure where this town called Emmaus would have been. 
And but I think that just goes to show that it's not so important where they're going as much as it's where they're leaving from. Have you ever been disappointed before? How about disappointed with God? That you had your dreams, your hopes, prayers that you've been praying for months and years and somehow it didn't happen. That you find yourself still stuck in the same old situation. That, that you believe, that you trusted, that you put your hope in God, but yet things didn't work out the way that you wanted to. You had your dreams, your hopes are crushed, and you're devastated over what happened. And, and, and also that which didn't. And that's kind of the situation Cleopas and this other disciple is in. I mean, they trusted in Jesus. They had hope in Jesus. And yet they saw him die. It's the third day. And yet there was nothing that, that changed their circumstances. There's nothing that changed their lives. So they find themselves on a seven mile journey to this random town named Emmaus. And it's in this place where Jesus shows up. I mean, they're already walking on their way. They're, they're just doing their thing. And Jesus shows up and just interrupts them. Right? He's kind of, kind of rude, you know? Like, imagine you're walking in New York City and there's a couple talking. And you're just like, hey, guys, what are you talking about? I mean, you, you're going to get a fight. But that's kind of what happens in this moment. I mean, let's picture this together. There's these two disciples, obviously downcast, devastated, depressed, sad over what happened. They're walking and Jesus shows up uninvited and interrupts them. Say, hey, what are are you guys talking about? And I think that's the first point that I want to make is that God is in the interruptions of life. That oftentimes God shows up uninvited because he cares enough to be with you in your mess. Because I think that's what grace looks like. That grace is in the interruptions. Grace isn't just when everything works out the way that we wanted it to. When things go as we hoped. But in the interruptions of life. In the circumstances that don't make sense. God interrupts and interjects himself. And invites him into the conversation. God is in the interruptions. And he'll show up even uninvited. Now, this is where the story kind of gets weird. So Jesus shows up as a, like a stranger just comes up, interrupts the conversation. But it goes and says that these two were kept from recognizing it was Jesus. I think sometimes when you read the Bible, like it's, it's the strangest book ever. You ever read things about Jesus and you're like, why does he do the things he does? It doesn't make sense. You know, like he feeds the thousands, people want to follow him. And then he turns around and he says, hey, if you really want to be my follower, then you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. People are like, yo, I can't get down with this. I mean, that's kind of what Jesus does. He does things that don't make sense. And here is another situation where to me, it doesn't make sense. He shows up to follow these guys on the road to Emmaus. And yet he keeps his identity hidden. It's weird. It's strange. Is, Is it a prank? Is Jesus, you know, trolling them, right? I'll explain what that means to those who don't know here later. But they're confused as to who this guy is. And they're like, are you the only person that doesn't know what happened? I think this here is another point of what's going on in this story. That sometimes God keeps his identity from us, not to hide from us, but for us. Because for me as a pastor, there's sometimes when I meet people for the first time and and if I tell them I'm a pastor, I know they're not going to be honest with me, right? I say I'm a pastor and then their voice changes. You know, they start talking in King James language, like, how art thou, pastor? You know, like, what? Like, why are you talking to me like that? 
And I think Jesus hides his true identity because he doesn't want the Sunday school answers from them. He doesn't want their religious mess. He wants the honesty of their hearts of why they're downcast, why they're sorrowful, why why they're just going through a hard time. He doesn't want to show up and, and take that away from him. And I think that's part of his mercy, that he meets us as we are. And and sometimes he does that by hiding who he is. Just because you can't recognize God in your life means he's absent. Amen. I think there's people in here this morning that need to hear that just because you can't recognize that it's God walking beside you means you're alone. Because sometimes he'll come hiding who he really is because he wants to develop faith within you. I believe sometimes he keeps you from sight because that's the only way he can develop faith within you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, it says that we live by faith, not by sight. Sometimes you got to be kept from sight in order to grow in faith. I think that's what's happening in this moment of why Jesus shows up and yet they're kept from seeing him for who he really is. So they go on and talking and, and, and we see that. That Jesus is willing to walk with these two disciples in the opposite direction of where they're supposed to be. I think sometimes we go through things in life and and it's not so much where we're headed, but we're so hurt, so apathetic, so whatever, fill in the blank you want. That we just can't stay where we are and we turn our backs on where we know we should be. Whether it's in our relationship, whether it's in our faith, whether it's, I mean, you name it. And these disciples are just headed to a place where they just can't stay where their last disappointment was. And they're walking in the opposite direction because Jesus says, stay in Jerusalem. Right? Stay in Jerusalem, but yet they're headed the opposite way. And God meets them in that way, away from where they're supposed to be. And I think that's the next point I want to share with all of you is that Jesus is with us in the journey. That God is with us in the process. He is the God of the process and not just the God of the finished product. Jesus isn't in Jerusalem waiting for these two disciples to get it right and come running back. He doesn't meet them halfway there or or at the other side of Emmaus saying, hey, you guys are in the opposite direction. But he's even willing to walk with them every single step of the way in the other way, in the opposite direction, because he's the God of the process. The work he started in you, he will finish it. He'll bring it to completion. Because that's the God that we serve. He is the God of process. And he walks with us in that journey, in that process, on that road to Emmaus. Because the truth is, he isn't intimidated by your doubts. He's not intimidated by your brokenness. He's not intimidated by your struggles and, and your disappointments. But he's willing to walk with you even then. You know, there are times where God just wants you to be honest. I mean, when you share your complaints with others, that's called complaining. But when you share your complaints with God, that's called praying. Because that's the reality of God. He's not intimidated by what's actually going on in your heart. I mean, you read some of the Psalms. Some of them are crazy. They don't even make sense. We see David crying out, God, where are you? And God's like, that's a good prayer. You go a little further, there's, there's, there's like, I don't know why some of these psalms are in there, but there's one song where like, God, we want to dash the, the baby's heads of our enemies. You ever read that in psalms? Like, no one has that highlighted ever, because we're like, what? Why is this even in scripture? 
But God just wants the reality of your heart. He, he can take it. He's so big, he can take your complaints. He's so big, he can take your doubts. He's so big, he can take your disappointments. He just wants you as you are and is willing to walk with you. He'll even hide himself if he has to, to get the reality of your heart. Oftentimes we are, we are educated beyond our level of faith because we know all the right answers. We know all the truth. We know that if I say God is good, you're going to say, see, you, you guys have been brainwashed, you know? And if I say all the time, you guys are going to say God is good, right? Because it's, it's, it's instinctive within us. You know, I could call Robert at 4 a.m. out of the blue. He's like, why is my phone ringing? He picks up and like, yo, God is good. He's like, all the time. He's like, what? Where? Why did I just say that? Because we know all these things, but sometimes God hides himself because he wants your real heart. He wants you to get to that place where you can declare that he is good, not because you were taught it, not because you're supposed to say it, but because you understand that he's with you, even in your disappointment, even on the road to Emmaus, even when you're walking away from God, he'll walk with you. I mean, that's the God that we serve. And we see that happening in this moment. And maybe this is what Easter is all about. That it's not just an event it's not just an announcement or, or the grandness or the extravagance of what Jesus did as important as it is. But more than that, maybe it's the why he did it in the first place. I believe the why is so that he could journey with people like Cleopas and his companion. And so that he could journey with people like me and you in the reality of life. I believe that's what Easter is about. It's not, hey, I did this, now come to me. But I did this, and I'm willing to walk with you forever. Because if he paid the ultimate price, what wouldn't he do to have you? It's like me buying something expensive at a store, right? Let's say I go and buy an iPad. I paid an extravagant price to have this iPad. It would be foolish of me to buy it and then expect it to come to me. Are you with me? I would need to go and pick up that which I've purchased. And I see that's what's going on here. Jesus paid the ultimate price and he's not willing that any of us should perish. So he's willing to go after us even in the wrong way. So as they're walking, the two disciples start sharing of everything they heard and, and, and what they saw and what's going on. And to me, what's amazing is that they even heard of what happened earlier that day. Right? They heard that, the, they, that these women went to the tomb. They found it empty. They found that angels showed up and said, what are you doing here looking for, the, for someone who is living among the dead? They heard all these different things, but yet they still found themselves on this road to Emmaus. I think for some of us, we need to understand just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it won't happen. Sometimes we quit too soon right before the breakthrough. But something I've come to realize is that brokenness, breaking, always precedes breakthrough. Sometimes we leave a moment too quickly before we see the reality of what God is doing. But the next point I want to say is that we see God's grace once again. Even though these two disciples left too early, God wasn't too late. Even though they left too early, God wasn't too late. And he still followed them, caught up with them. And was willing to hear their story and then teach them from scripture. He starts unpacking everything, teaching them about himself and, and why he had to suffer and go through the things that they did. And they're 
re, uh, they're reaching close to their destination. And it says that Jesus continued on as if he was going further. Once again, here's another weird Jesus moment. Like Jesus is acting like he still has long ways. Of, yeah, I'll, yeah, I got to go there too. So he continues as if he was going further. And I think that goes to show the great reversal of what's happening on this Easter Sunday. And I think the one, and I think this is what makes God so great and his grace so amazing. It's because the one who, who, who preached and, and cried out for three years, follow me, is not following that. I mean, that's the great reversal. That's what makes God so great, so amazing. His grace, you know, just so awe-inspiring. It's the fact that he calls us to love him with all our mind, our strength, our body, our soul, our spirit. He calls us to surrender everything we have. He calls us to leave everything behind and follow him. But he calls us to, all, to do all these things because he's willing to do it first. He calls us to love him with everything we have. Well, that's the way he loved us. The Bible says that we love because he first loved us. He calls us to trust him and surrender everything to him. Well, he bankrupted heaven to come to earth. I mean, let's say, I mean, this is an amazing campus. And let's say I'm going outside. The sermon was amazing. Hallelujah. Amen. The food was just as amazing. Glory to God. And I'm going to my car and, and I see a bunch of ants. And for some reason, because it's Easter, my heart is moved to compassion for these ants. I'm like, oh my gosh, these, these ants, they're so foolish. They're so clueless. Someone needs them to know that they were created by a good God. Let's say I had the power to make myself into an ant. So I become an ant and I start evangelizing to these ants. Stay with me. I know, I know y'all are like, whoa, what's wrong with this guy? Just, just trust me. Okay? The story has an ending. So let's say I do that. But that's, did you know that the distance between me becoming an ant is still nothing compared to God becoming a man? But that's the distance he's willing to go to come and find us, to meet us, to love on us. So sure, he says, surrender everything because he sets the example. He says, follow me because he's following you. He won't let you go. And I believe that's what inspires our seeking after God, our pursuing after God. It's the fact that he pursued us first. That he sought us out first. That he surrendered everything first. That he loved us first. Even when there was no guarantee that we would ever love him back. I mean, isn't that what you do when you love? You're willing to risk and look like a fool. There is no guarantee except you know that you love. And that's what Jesus does in this moment. He gives everything. He's willing to follow them. Think about that. The one who says, follow me, is now following them to the wrong place, in the wrong direction, in the wrong destination. Because he won't let you go too far without going after you. That's the God that we serve. That's what Easter is about. That's why he conquered the grave. That's why he's alive. It's so that you can know his heart for you. You can keep going in that direction, but God isn't a halfway God. He'll go all the way till you get there. He's not like, oh, okay, past this point, it's, it's too dark for me. Past this point, it's too broken for me. Past this point, man, you're on your own. 
that's not the God that we serve. He goes with us all the way to Emmaus. So by the time they're finished teaching, they've reached their destination. And now these two are begging Jesus. Jesus, you know, it's nighttime. The sun is down. Just just stay with us. And, And the Bible says they begged Jesus to stay. So Jesus stayed with them. And and at this point, this uninvited intruder, this disguised intruder becomes a welcome guest. And once they get to their inn and they sit down and have bread, this welcome guest suddenly becomes the host. Because it's the host that would bless the bread and break it. I mean, that's the process we see that God is with us. He shows up uninvited, disguised, interrupts our lives. And somewhere along the way, he becomes a welcome guest. And from there, he becomes a host. And as they're sitting together, the Bible says that Jesus blesses the bread, breaks it open, and gives it to them. And it was at that moment where their eyes were open and they realized it was, in fact, Jesus now, what, what, what possibly could have gave it away? What possibly could have gave it away? That Like, were they hungry? They're like, oh, oh, yeah, I think that's Jesus, you know? I think it's because when he broke the bread and he handed it to them, it exposed his scars. That they realized it was Jesus because they saw his scars. And at once, the Bible says that Jesus disappeared. Like, another weird, like, what? Jesus does a lot of weird things in this story, you know? Like, he has powers to disappear. So once they realized it was Jesus, they went away. He went away, and they're like, oh my gosh, Jesus is alive. And check this out. It says that from Emmaus, they started running back to Jerusalem. Back to where they needed to be. Back where they were supposed to be. Because Jesus walked with them for the whole seven miles. They ran back. They started telling all the disciples of what happened and how they knew it was in fact Jesus because he broke the bread and they saw the wounds and they saw that he was in fact the one. Now I think just like Cleopas and, and the other disciple, his companion, many of us have heard the news of Easter before. But for some of us, this story itself isn't new. That Jesus died on the cross and rose again isn't new. I mean, even then, they, they heard all these things and were still walking. That someone else's story, things that we heard, I believe shows, it shows that those things aren't enough to fuel our faith. What we need is an actual encounter with the resurrected Jesus ourselves. I believe this morning that some of you have heard this story year after year, Easter after Easter. And what you need isn't just another reminder, but an encounter with the one who has scars in his hands for you and I. Because I don't need another person's testimony. I don't want a secondhand report of, of what Jesus has done. But I need a fresh encounter today. I want you to know that Sunday morning isn't where we come and do our religious duty. But it's, it's where we come to encounter Jesus. And I believe that he wants to encounter every single one of us. That they saw his wounds. They saw him as he was. The resurrection can be a theory. It can be a story. But when it's real... It changes everything. When it's real, it changes everything. Now, I don't know about you, but I have spiritual amnesia. I need a fresh encounter every day, a fresh filling of the Spirit. But that's what God delights to give us. 
is all of himself. He didn't die on the cross to give you bits and pieces of himself, but to give you his whole heart, his whole self. And I think that's why he broke the bread to remind him, this is what happened to me. And now I share it with you. And when we see Jesus resurrected as he is, that's when our, our hopes come alive in places of hurt in places of disappointment, in places of pain, in places of apathy. I don't want to live just with head knowledge of resurrection, but I want to live in the reality reality of it every single day because of what Jesus has done. Because God just isn't in just our dreams, but he's in the disappointment. That's where he meets us. That's where he fellowships with us. That's where he desires to become one with us, to share bread with us. It's right there in that moment. And I think the reason why Jesus, they see Jesus and he disappears. Is that when you know in your hearts, you no longer need to see with your eyes. That when you know in your hearts, you no longer need to see with your eyes. And that's what they say to each other. Were our hearts burning when he taught us from the scripture? When he opened up his word and he spoke to us, he talked with us, he walked with us. Weren't our hearts burning? Because now that they know in their hearts, they no longer need to see with their eyes. Because when you recognize his presence, you no longer need his form to know who it is. There are times when when things don't look like Jesus, but you know he'll be there with you because you recognize his presence. His form might be foggy. The way that you wanted it to be, the package isn't nice, but you know it's him because you recognize him now by presence. Because you sense the burning in your hearts. I want you to know, some of you need to hear this this morning, that you feel like your heart is on fire. Some of you, you feel like it's about to go out. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a flicker. But God won't let it go out. Not today, not ever. Because he's committed to walking with you always. So as the story ends, they start running back, telling them of how they knew it was Jesus. And I want to close by saying this. I don't know where you are in your faith. I don't know where you are in your life, in your journey with God. But one thing Easter tells us, wherever you are right now, it's not the end. Wherever you are right now, whatever circumstance you're in, whatever you're going through, whatever you're feeling, whatever is on your mind, that because of Easter, because of what Jesus has done, no matter where you are in the journey of life, it's not the end because he rose again. It's not the end because he conquered the grave. You could be in Jerusalem. You could be on mile one, mile six, or all the way out of maze. It doesn't matter. God is with you. It's not the end. Don't judge the story based on where you are right now. Don't judge the whole book based on one chapter of the story you're in. Because Easter says it's not done. It's not the over. It's not over. Whatever tragedy you're facing, that isn't the end. Whatever pain you're going through, that's not the end. Whatever struggle you have right now, it's not the end. That loss isn't the end. Where you are right now isn't the end. Because you have a God that's with you always till the end. He's the God of the process. 
the God of the interruptions, the God of the delays, the detours. He's the God of Easter and He's walking with you in life. So God, we just want to thank you this morning that you paid it all, that you did it all for us. God, you did it all for us. God, I thank you that this story shows us that the struggle isn't the end. That the tragedy isn't the end. That the disappointment isn't the end. Even us walking away, turning our backs, even that isn't the end because of what you've done for us. God, I thank you that you're developing within us strength in the struggle. For some of you, God is developing strength in your struggle. That he's not against you, he's for you. Thank you, Lord. God, thank you for supernatural hope. Thank you for resurrection power. If you're here this morning and you know that this word is for you, wherever you are in the journey, whatever you're going through, and you're saying, I I need that fresh encounter this Easter Sunday. Can I invite you to stand where you're at? And we just want to pray that God will meet you right where you're at. You don't have to get it all figured out. Pretty yourself up, get the right answers, even get the right attitude. But just right where you're at, God is wanting and willing to walk with you. That we all have our Emmaus Road experiences. But every Emmaus Road experience leads to an encounter with the resurrected one. God, I pray even now for divine interruptions in the lives of my brothers and sisters here. God, I pray that your grace would interrupt them in the midst of their lives. That so often we get caught up in doing church and faith and and work and relationships, business as usual. But God, may your grace interrupt us in those moments. Because you're the God of the journey. You're the God of the process. That there's always hope. If you're here this morning and you need hope, I want to invite you to stand as well. I feel like there's people in here where you've been carrying apathy because of unanswered prayers. Because of what you thought would happen in the time frame that you hoped for it, but it didn't. But I feel like God wants to inject you with supernatural hope today. But this is a safe place. God, I thank you for those who are standing. But I pray even now your presence, your manifest presence, that they would recognize you by presence, even if their eyes are kept from recognizing your form, that their hearts would burn within them and recognize you by presence. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And I just want to just continue in, in, in this vein of faith moving this uh, forward in faith.
I believe that God wants to just show the reality of his resurrection power this Sunday. And, and I don't know if this is what you do or maybe I won't be invited anymore after this. That's fine. But I feel like there's some people here that God wants to heal you physically. <clears throat> if you need physical healing in your body, I want to invite you to stand and let's just believe for it. It might not happen right away, but we're contending and believing that we are indeed healed by His stripes. It's not a nice Bible verse. It's not just a theory. It's not just theological truth, but it's the reality of our resurrected God. So if you need healing, I want to invite you to stand even now. Um, I felt like even driving here, there's someone here that might have tennis elbow, and you've been battling that for years. I want to pray for you. Pray that God would heal you if you have tennis elbow. Uh, another one was like arthritis or carpal uh, tunnels in your wrist, something like that. Arthritis or, or uh, carpal tunnel syndrome, I think that's what it's called. Those were the things that I was getting um, as I was driving here, being highlighted. Or anything else, but those were the main things I felt highlighted was tennis elbow. But that's you, I want to invite you to stand because I believe that God wants to meet you right where you're at. Some of you might be in here thinking, I don't deserve him to heal me. Well, the truth is we didn't deserve him going on the cross, but he did it anyways because of love. So God, I thank you that you never call us to do anything that you didn't model first, such as loving us, surrendering us, suffering, following, all of that you modeled it for us because you love us. God, I pray even now, if you need healing, just reach out your hands in faith. God, we are just contending in faith because this is what your word says. This is who you are. That you are a good God. The cross proves that. The empty grave proves that. This is who you are. We pray even now for healing for those who need it in their bodies. In Jesus' name. That your presence would meet them right in the midst of their pain. Even in their body manifested. <coughs> I feel like for some of you, you've been carrying on to some bitterness and unforgiveness. God is saying, today is your day to let that go. That you no longer have to carry that weight any longer. It's time to let that go and receive the lightness of His grace. The freedom that is available in Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to Pursuit Cast. For more information on the ministry of Pursuit NYC, please visit us on the web at www.pursuitnyc.org. Revival or bust.